We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Cash Considerations Podcast, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm with Jason Pat. Jason, two weeks from today, the NBA draft lottery goes down. How's your spirit? Uh, I'm guess I'm jacked and juiced about the NBA draft lottery. Finally, like something I guess good, to, like, or at least hopefully worthwhile to talk about. Bulls related, obviously, these last couple weeks hasn't been really much going on with the Bulls. The NBA playoffs have been going on. That that's been a lot of fun at least, but Bulls wise. Ramping back up with the lottery coming up. That should be exciting. 12.5% chance. I'm jacked and juice that the NBA is going to rig it for Zion. The Bulls need it for crying out loud. They need Zion Williamson. How's your spirit doing getting ready for the draft lottery? You're, you're Mr. Draft. I'm good, man. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, go to the NBA draft combine in a couple weeks. Uh, yeah. That's something I've covered every year since I think the 2013 draft, the one with Gobert and Schroeder. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's 2013. One I did in Nerland's Noel. That was 13? I think so. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to be doing that again. That event's always held in Chicago, so that's a lot of fun. Uh, but, you know, Jason, we actually have a guest today who's who's watching actual basketball right now, live is. and in person, unlike me and you. That would be Will Gottlieb. Will, what's Live going on? and in person, yeah. Uh, I feel like... It's great to be here, first of all. I feel like I have been preparing to be on the podcast as opposed to you, the podcast, preparing for me to be on. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's good to be here. Um, it's, it's fun to watch real basketball. I have to say, like, the difference between the Warriors and the Bulls, it exists. <laughs> I think we saw that a little bit this regular season, just a little bit, and obviously just in general, but uh, the Warriors beating the Bulls ass twice and just being the Warriors uh see you've been covering what every home game right is that what you've been doing i mean that's pretty fucking dope it's more or less uh it's basically around my full-time work schedule so there are games that i can't make it to but i try to be there for the most part playoffs especially i was there last night and i was talking to jordan bell a little bit about some of their defensive stuff for the story i'm working on and afterwards i asked him or i told him that i was going on a podcast called the cast considerations podcast and he just would not believe that that was a real thing he was dying laughing about that and so i asked him would you like say this is jordan bell and you're listening to the cast considerations podcast and he just wouldn't do it i tried for you guys but he wants to let it die I appreciate the effort very much. I also understand why he wants to let it yeah. die. And he he got his trolling in last season, uh, and he trolled very well. And I know this season hasn't 
bent gone as well for him. But yeah, I, I understand that. Even attempting to do that, Will, that's like the greatest gift <laughs> I know, I've ever seriously. been given. Like, you made Jordan Bell aware <laughs> of the Cash Considerations podcast. What more could we possibly have? He knows. Ask it's for? his legacy. I had, I had to try. <laughs> yeah, definitely appreciate that effort. Uh, I guess we could. I got, yeah, I got a go question for, for Will to start with. Off, we were chatting uh, right before we began recording. Will said, I'm kind of thankful not to be in a gym watching actual basketball tonight. Uh, what's going on, Will? Are, are the Warriors so good that it's like bumming you out about how bad the Bulls are? Uh, are you also set, like auditing ref reports <laughs> and sending them to the league office talking about the the lack of fouls called between the Rockets and the Warriors. The ref thing is just so ridiculous at this point. Every single reporter's like, I hate to be the one that asks, but you know, and then they'll like get into whatever officiating remark they have. And like, it was the entire press conference for both coaches last night. Um, That's pretty exhausting. The players are done talking about it. I'm done talking about it. I just like, let's play basketball. I'm with KD on that one. Um, But just from a like work standpoint, like yesterday, you're catching me. I'm a little bit on the uh, on the end of a, a long week where I worked all day yesterday, went to the Warriors game, and then got up this morning at like 5:30 to go back to work. So just a little tired, but nice little work bender there. Always fun. Bender. Basketball <laughs> bender. I'm a junkie. Gotcha. Well, we appreciate you for joining no, this us. Is a good way Will. to cap it off. Uh, yeah, Will's done a ton of great work for the last few seasons covering the Bulls. Uh, previously for the Athletic. This year, he made several really in-depth videos touching on the Bulls' pace, touching on uh, Zach Levine as a point guard, touching on Larry Markkinen's hot streak in February. Uh, Let's start off with Markkinen, Will, because I feel like that's the one guy uh, most of the fan base is interested in. He had an up-and-down sophomore season, I would say, obviously tremendous in February. I think he averaged 26 or 27 points a game. Uh, over that month in general over the course of the season though his numbers pretty stagnant uh from his rookie season he obviously had the injury at you know the beginning and the end of the campaign so uh will i you know what do you think where are you at with marketing right now do you see him as you know truly a cornerstone piece for this team do you think the talk of him being an all-star next year is premature just what are, what are your general takes on mark yeah i mean you look at what he did during the, that month of february that, that stretch where he just like was by far the best player on the bulls and a lot of times the best player on the court on both teams um he was shooting the three really well he was grabbing the ball uh grabbing rebounds and like getting up in transition and like for the first time, I think in his entire career, which admittedly is like 110 games or whatever, uh, but it, it just felt like they were finally running offense that made sense for like what his skill set is. And so you're thinking, oh, well, if they do that, then yeah, maybe you can keep doing this. Um, I think last week, Kevin Farragut mentioned something about like getting kind of uh, enchanted with the small sample and like how well he did over that short period of time. Uh, and I think that's totally fair. Like we should probably be careful to expect like 26 points per game from him. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But like, yeah, if the bulls decide that they want to play a modern offense, which they did for a short period of time, then I mean, something like that is possible. Maybe not quite that extent, but he could be a good player. Uh, So are you insinuating, Will, that you're not thrilled with the idea that Jim Boylan's going to be this team's coach next year? (laughs) I think everybody that comes on this podcast will say, I'm not as extreme as Ricky on this one. But (laughs) 
no, like I, I think Jim is like obviously a very smart guy. Like anytime I've talked to him, he's like just gone really in depth with stuff, which I really appreciate. But I like have to slow him down and just be like, what are you talking about? What does this mean? Like explain <laughs> this to me because I just don't know. Uh, like I definitely think he knows his stuff, but I think and this is true for the way that they the front office has built out the roster. Um, I just don't necessarily agree with the process behind all of it. And, you know, deciding to pound points in the paint and uh, take away, like, basically remove. I mean, they shot, they were 24th in the league in corner threes this year, 27th in total threes. They were fifth in mid-range jumpers. So, like, that's just offense that I disagree with. I'm never going to, like, see eye to eye with that. Um, And it's the same thing with Lowry. Like, he's a pretty true power forward. He's not really strong or mobile enough to play true five or to switch on to point guards. We saw a little bit of that uh, over the course of the season, but I don't know that it will be necessarily great enough. Um, I think he can be a good player. I think he'll be a very good player if they play the right way around him. But um, I'm just not necessarily sure that that's the kind of player you want to be building around in today's NBA. So here's, here's my thing with this. It's like, even in the most charitable description of Jim Boylan, like I totally acknowledge that the guy has probably forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know. I think he knows the game pretty well. Uh, but when I say that he does not deserve to coach another <laughs> game for the Bulls the rest of his life, the real question is where are they going with him as the head coach? Like, even in the most charitable description, you're not exactly hiring like a rising coaching candidate, even though he has served a long time as an assistant. He's been the Bulls coach for the last few years. I don't remember teams, you know, pounding on the Bulls door to interview Jim Boylan, even back when he was an assistant with the Spurs. So even the most charitable description of Boylan, even if you take into account the team's hot stretch in February, and you don't think that that was as much of an aberration as some of us do, that you think that that really could be the Bulls ceiling next year, it still just doesn't seem like they're building up towards something with the young players in mind, which is the entire premise of this rebuild. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like to me, Boylan, if like if nothing else, he feels like he feels like a band-aid. He doesn't feel like a long-term solution to their head is coaching he like, problem. Is he the Ricky Renteria of the Bulls? <laughs> I like that. I like that. I feel like he like if you want him to be the coach that takes you from point A to point B so that you can get then to point C, like you have to get from point A to point B. And I feel like they're just kind of staying at point A right now where they're not developing the players the way that you want them to play in whatever this modern NBA is. Um, they're they're playing some version of like 90s basketball with a few more threes. Like it just, it's, it's not going to win you games, no matter how you shake it, no matter how good Lowry can become, no matter how good Wendell or Zach Levine can be. If you play that way, you're just not going to win. Yeah. So like one of those, one yeah. of those videos you made was about like, uh, I think it was in March, like, yeah, end of March. So it was like after their hot streak and it was called like how the Bulls stopped running and stopped winning. And you talked about, or, and it was also how you talked about in how like the Bulls can make a Kings like jump. And we saw the Kings this year, uh, even though they fired their head coach, because I guess, I guess that's something the Kings do. They started playing like a super fast. I think they had one of the best paces in the league. We saw, I think the Kings kicked the Bulls ass twice this season. Basically just, they had a speedy point guard, Darren Fox, Buddy Heald, Chuck and Threes, Marvin Bagley, some good young players. Uh, and they were just, they played super fast pace. And I feel like that kind of this video was just kind of talking about 
uh, how the Bulls should probably do some of that. We kind of saw that, uh, I guess, in February. I feel like I don't they they weren't playing super fast. And they weren't launching like a ton of threes. They were at least trending in that direction. Like, do you think that they should just like totally? I, mean, I guess uh, under Boylan, I feel like that's just not going to happen. But would you prefer they just lean into like just like the Nets and Kings chucking threes and going as fast as they can, or do you think that'd be the way that they should run this roster? So I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast with Kirk Goldsberry the other day. Um, I don't know if you guys listened to it, but they were kind of talking about how uh, the like homogeneity of the league is ruining it, and there's no like diversity of shot selection or yeah. diversity of like. Uh, style of play and I, I guess I do agree with some of those points like if everybody's just like running up and on the court playing no defense and slinging like you know 57 threes a game that that's like a weird product but uh, at the same time like if you and and we've said this before like they were trying to win games this year this was not like a tanking year uh, if they're trying to do that with the limited talent that is on this roster you have to get up and down the court to give yourself more possessions and you have to give yourself like high variance shot at winning games. Like maybe you get hot and make 23s. That's like what the Rockets formula is. Um, theirs is a little bit more scripted and you have to kind of tailor it to what your personnel is. Um, but I think the personnel on this roster really makes sense for that style of play. The Kings were third in pace this year uh, and they were last in pace the year before. That's what they attribute that jump to basically threes and pace. And I think that makes a lot of sense for the Bulls if they want to do that. I mean, the issue is that it's a math problem either way. Like you can talk about the aesthetics of a league where everyone is pushing the pace and chucking threes, but that's also like mathematically the best way to win. So in the when the Bulls are sitting here talking about scoring, you know, points in the paint, when they're talking about trying to, uh, you know, just get more paint touches. It's like, dude, this entire line of thinking is so ass backwards. And it's about more than the aesthetics of it. Like if you're approaching it from the same angle as Zach Lowe and Kirk Goldsberry, you could see it as a problem. But if your job as it is John Paxson's job and Gar Foreman's job to build the best team possible, then that is just so obviously how the team should be playing. I feel like there's not even any room for debate on that. And I think that that's why so many Bulls fans were frustrated with the decision to install Jim Boylan in the first place and to stick behind him and now potentially give him a contract extension. Uh, to spin this forward a little bit, just watching the playoffs this year, uh, watching CJ McCollum, watching Jamal Murray, both of those guys have made me think a bit about Zach Levine and his place both in the NBA hierarchy uh, and on the Bulls' you know, rebuild path back towards the playoffs. Do you think, Will, that... Levine can be as effective as Jamal Murray can be as effective as a player like CJ McCollum because they have similar skill sets. Uh, they're both, they're all, they're all pretty much around the same age. Uh, do you think that, you know, Levine could be that type of player? Now, obviously both those guys are playing next to a superstar and Damian Lillard and Nikola Jokic, which, which the Bulls currently lack right now. But, you know, could, could you see someone like Zach Levine in a role like McCollum's or like Jamal Murray? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, the, the first thing I was going to say is you have to consider the point guard next to those shooting guards. Like those guys are primary ball handlers, but they're playing off the ball. And when you get a guy like that and he's able to play against second units or be the secondary shot creator when like the pick and roll gets squashed on one side and you have to reverse it over. Uh, I think that's where Zach Levine will be at his best. He's not going to be scoring 24.5 or whatever points per game that way. But like the Bulls aren't going to win 
22 games in a season <laughs> if they do that, if they have like a better shot creator uh, that can take take some of that pressure away from Zach and also just like be the actual motor of this offense. Um, I, I think Zach is like a super talented player. Uh, obviously, like I was pretty low on him last year and I wasn't crazy about the extension just given the injury history and what the unknown uh, about what he could be coming back from that and whether the defense would ever be like better than the worst in the league. Um, but he, I mean, he had a very solid scoring season. Uh, the video that I made about him playing point guard, he definitely improved um, kind of finding those weak side shooters and just generally like maneuvering point guard or maneuvering pick and roll. Uh, but I do think that this team really still needs like a go-to primary ball handler. And that's really going to be the cap of this team. Yeah. What they, what they need more than anything is just like a superstar offensive initiator. And watching these playoffs, I can't help but come back to the they idea need that Jimmy Butler. They need Jimmy. We haven't even talked about this privately, but yeah, man, the way Jimmy took over in game two of that series against uh, the Raptors the other night was just so phenomenal. I mean, even on a team with so many other primary offensive options, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, it was Butler who was taking over down the stretch. Yeah, Embiid had like a digestion issue. He had the, he had the shits. Uh, but man, Butler so strong with the ball. Uh, he just plays at his own pace, gets to the spots he wants to on the floor, doesn't turn the ball over. He welcomes contact to get to the foul line. Jimmy Butler is an awesome player, man. And, uh, he would be perfect on the, this team. Yeah, I'd say the funny thing is, like, I feel like, I mean, he'd be like a great fit for what Boylan wants to do. Gets in the paint. He's a tough guy, and like, like they're his the no nonsense. I'm pretty sure they would like love each other, which is just kind of funny. And that game two performance was a throwback to the uh, the Trashers days when Jimmy would just absolutely destroy the Raptors. Do you guys remember when he one... scored forty points and a half? That <clears throat> yeah, team? exactly. Oh my yeah. God, throw throwback to those. What was do, do you guys remember what that streak was? The Bulls had won like maybe like the 14, 13, 14 against the Raptors. As impressive as the TNT Bulls. Yeah, something crazy. And then I think since that streak ended, I think the Raptors have won like ten or eleven straight against the Bulls. It's completely flipped the other direction because the Raptors are really good and the Bulls suck. But yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I feel good. I, it's fun to watch Jimmy. I've always, I was always a Jimmy, Jimmy fan as much of a pain in the ass as he could be sometimes. Like he's obviously a really good player. I feel like he's almost kind of back to being, I guess it, I feel like he was always kind of underrated even when he was with the bulls. I don't know if a lot of fans really totally appreciated him because of all the like D Rose stuff. And then like the year that he was really, really good was the three alphas crap. And like that team was mediocre and just all the drama, I guess there as well. But like, and then, and then lately, like obviously with the Timberwolves, there was that kind of mess. And with the Sixers, he's kind of taken a step back with Embiid and Sims. But we saw it game two, like he's still got he's still got that that killer that killer clutch gene in him that takeover when he when he really wants to do it. Yeah, that man is a game winner. Like he wins <clears throat> basketball games. Uh, and I think like when you when you think about the kind of player that the Bulls need, obviously like he would fit right in. But uh, it's like the archetype is like big, strong athletic two-way wings that can get their own shot. Jimmy's also a phenomenal passer. I think that gets really uh, slept on. But um, that's like when you take it back, I think everything that you talk about with the Bulls with regards to their play style kind of goes back up to the management and what kind of like team they're building. 
And like, that was one of the reasons why I was so disappointed. They didn't go all in for Luka Doncic two years or last year in the draft. Um, that's why it's disappointing that they're not going to like that. They didn't go more all in for Zion. I get, it's much harder to do that now that they flattened out the bottom, but um, that, that kind of offensive initiator is like building block number one. And if you don't have that, you have just spare parts sort of. And um, it's just, it's tough to build a team like that. It's like, what is their long-term plan if they don't get Zion? And obviously the first thing we need to know is what pick they have in this draft. I think the Bulls would probably love to take John Morant and perhaps the Bulls see John Morant as that superstar offensive initiator, the guy who can take them to the next level of the rebuild. I'm not totally sure I agree with that, but I think there's a chance Morant could hit his ceiling and he does have that type of ceiling. But the real question is, if the Bulls don't land at one, and if they don't land at two, uh, not that I think Zion and Morant are even in the same stratosphere, but I think that the Bulls would at least be satisfied with the second pick. Uh, the, like, what is their long-term plan for for next year and going forward? Like, we know that they blew a lot of their cap space on Otto Porter. I happen to love that move just because you have him on a short contract. He's young. He makes the team better. Uh, he can help improve some of the habits of the young guys, I feel like, just by doing some of the little things like playing defense, spacing the floor, filling a position of need on the wing, and just extract or exiting empty calories guys in Jabari and Portis to get him. But at the same time, it's like the Bulls will be the first to tell you they're not going to be in the market for the marquee free agents this year because the marquee free agents, like everyone else who pays attention to the NBA, just does not respect the Bulls' front office. Will, where do they go? If they get three or four or five, like what is the big move they make, in your opinion, to try to take a, a step up in this rebuild? Or do you think it's legitimately just let Lowry and Wendell and Zach decide the future of the franchise and uh, you know hope that one of those guys evolves into an alpha instead of trying to add an alpha from the outside? I think we, as like people who follow the Bulls, as Bulls fans, like put a lot more stock into. Um, kind of hitting on these draft picks that they they wanted to get like one or two years at the top of the draft and then be on their way, like jumpstart the rebuild, they always say. Um, and I think like there's just too much luck involved in that for it to necessarily go right. Um, I don't know what the, like how the scouting reports on these guys beyond one and two really are as, as well as you do. Um, but I think trading back is always an option. The one thing I think, there were definitely flaws in the auto Porter trade. I do like it for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned. Um, like, I don't think it was perfect, but I liked it. Uh, I think it showed a willingness to like make moves via trade that they haven't really shown in a really long time. And I think like trading back in the draft could be an option just because it doesn't really seem like anybody, like there's that group after two, that's like, you know, three through 11 that could all have the same upside. Um, maybe they use that pick to get out of the draft or get into the draft next year. Again, I don't necessarily know um, like how good those guys are going to be in the following draft class, but um, I, I think it's going to have to be with trades because like you said, it's not going to be in free agency. And if you just keep adding these like mediocre guys, you're setting yourself up to be a mediocre team. And I think they really need to go swing for the fences in some capacity. Like I said, that's why I wanted to, that's why like the trade that the Mavs made for Luca was such a good one in my opinion, even though they could miss out on their pick. But maybe the Hawks want to trade up to three if the Bulls get a third pick and they would give up 
both of their picks. Um, I, I think they're, it's just going to have to be through trade. Yeah, I don't really know how realistic the Doncic trade-up was for the Bulls because sitting there at seven, like, would Trey have been available? Yeah, I guess it does kind of depend on... They they did seem pretty uh, locked in to getting Trey there, which obviously was like, that makes a lot of sense. Trey is another one of those guys that you can actually, like, imagine building a good offense around. Um, I don't know. I guess it it's more just about, like, putting yourself in the position to have the assets to make that deal. And like by winning those games two seasons ago against like that, they had a ridiculous winning percentage against the teams ahead of them in the draft. I don't remember the number. Oh yeah. It was bad. If you're trying to tank, you got to tank. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of the, some of the, it was like Bobby Portis was like the big tank buster. I was, they literally lost like almost like every game to like any actual team. And then every team like that had a, a worse record, like they beat them. I just remember it was, so frustrating. So Sean stupid. Kilpatrick. Oh. Yeah, Sean Kilpatrick. <laughs> tank busting. Bobby Portis tank busting. Thanks, guys. Uh, I guess when you talk about like trying to make moves through trades, like do you like do you see like I guess this offseason, if we look at this offseason, like obviously they will have some cap space that's gonna be like 19, 20 million. Uh they were what do we the Omer Sheik thing, what do we what, what's the deal with that? Are they like applied to get his Money like is three million off the books. Was that right? Yeah, I believe basically they applied for the like. He's not. I don't remember the exact term, but he's basically going to have to retire due to health issues. Yeah, and so you so that would give him. Was it just like three million though? Three million back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So whatever that that would get them up to like twenty two, twenty three million. So I guess I like this off season. Like, do do you see them making like what kind of moves do you want them to make in free agency or like do do you want them to try to make some type of big trade? I guess this year or next year. Like, what kind of options do you think they have there? I mean, they could resign Jabari with twenty two million. Um, do it again just run it back one more time give him 20 million again team option on the second year i think it's a good deal uh i don't know like i I think you have to it depends on like do they want to be good now or do they want to keep growing together like d'angelo russell could be one of those guys that's like a point guard who kind of fits the timeline um i don't know what really his market's going to be with other teams i don't i don't know necessarily that he's like the guy but um he could be a guy uh, there's like a handful of the star players, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler, uh, Kemba Walker. I don't think they're getting any of those guys. No. Um, Chris Middleton, obviously Malcolm Brogdon on the Bucks. I think would both be good signings, but again, those are more like, uh, floor raisers than ceiling raisers. And yeah, I, yeah. I just, I don't necessarily think that the free agency market, I think they are going to have to round out their roster. Like the depth on this team is absolutely terrible. Uh, and they, they, I think one of the things they're really missing is like a smaller wing who can kind of guard down a position. Otto Porter is more of a four than a three. And so he can't really like guard the JJ Reddicks of the world. Uh, they need somebody who can do that. Um, or like a point of attack. It's going to be Denzel. He said he could guard point guards last year or whenever he was actually healthy. I believe he talked about he was guarding point guards. So Denzel is going to come back with a vengeance. You watch. I hope that ankle is better because <laughs> that would give some explanation for everything else. Uh, Nawaba, where are you at? He was perfect. Yeah, there you go. Jeez, I totally forgot about him. I love Nawaba. Uh, let me just get out in front of this. Absolutely not to D'Angelo Russell. If you're putting D'Angelo Russell and Levine in the same backcourt, 
that's going to be a very empty calories backcourt. And they might put up gaudy numbers. They might have some games where they get on House of Highlights for making some sick moves. <laughs> but you're not going to win with that backcourt. So no, no, no. I no to D'Angelo Russell. He's a good player. I enjoy watching him play. But I don't think that that's the antidote for what currently ails the Bulls. Uh, and, you know, to me, there's just not really any easy paths to this team for this team to success that don't involve Zion Williamson or don't involve John Morant hitting on, you know, whatever superstar potential he has within him. The more realistic path, I think, and this is what's really depressing, is that the ownership in the front office are going to see ticket sales declining. People aren't renewing season tickets anymore. Uh, that building, while they still finished second in the NBA in attendance, it was rarely... Uh, is full as the ticket sales would have indicated if you were there. People were just not showing up. Uh, once it starts affecting them in their pocketbook, I think that the Bulls aren't going to stay as committed to the long-term vision of this rebuild, and they're just going to want to try to get to be the 7 or the 8 seed again. They're going to think that that's an accomplishment. They're going to make some short-term moves that pay off to get them to, I don't know, a place like wherever the Orlando Magic are currently at. And if that's the case then this entire thing was a complete sham because they easily could have done this all with Jimmy Butler. By signing Dwayne Wade and giving him a player option on the back end of that deal, That to me, that's one of the worst moves in the history of Chicago sports because you wasted a year of Butler giving you superstar-level play at far below market-level contract. Uh, then it almost felt like their hands were tied a little bit into trading Butler because... What was the scenario if they kept him? They were just going to run back the three alphas. We already knew that Butler and Wade were so tight. Uh, they got along so well, but it obviously just wasn't working on the court. I think the most likely scenario for this Bulls rebuild is that they just end back up at seven or eight or six without much of a chance for upward mobility. I mean, that is a dark possibility, <laughs> but I think it's likely. I mean, you just... this. The core that they have right now is like you could put pieces around it and they could get there. And I think that's like possible. I think that's probably what they're going for, honestly. Um, I think basically what it seems like their plan is right now is to like put some good pieces together. Maybe one of them hits into being a superstar. I think they were hoping Zach Levine would be that guy. I think it's looking more and more likely that that's not going to happen. Um, and if you can't, then maybe you can sign a guy in free agency and now you've got a good core to build around. Like that's, that's, I think that clearest that, that I have what their plan is, but I just don't see that working. I think another option would just be to like try blowing it up again and like use the flip the pieces that you have into other things. I know that's like a really depressing thought for a lot of fans, but um, like, and it would be hard to give up guys that do have potential like Wendell and Lowry. Uh, but like that could be another option. Not saying that I would necessarily do it, but like, who would you like? What would you even do that for? I mean, I guess you could try to do the Anthony picks. Davis thing. Picks, picks, yeah. I mean, I just they're not getting Anthony Davis. Like, right? I know that. Yeah, I'm just saying. Like, would you even try? Like, put put together a pack. I mean, I, I'm assuming Davis would just leave next summer, anyways. But yeah, because even a, if you I'm do assuming. put together a package, it's not like the Celtics where like you can give up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in a pick or two, and you still have and Kyrie. you still have Kyrie. Like the Bulls would have to give up like one of, if not both, of Wendell and Lowry and their pick this year and 
basically only have Zach Levine left, which is question. Like, I don't even know if that they would do that trade without Zach. And then what do you, it's Zach Levine and Anthony Davis, best case scenario. And you like, what do you do then? Get the eight seed. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <I guess>. <laughs> East is bad. <laughs> I think they should, you said, you mentioned the magic. Maybe she should resign DJ Augustine. He seemed to. He had a great like, season this year. He did. <laughs> Good yeah, if you want a you know a guard who can shoot off the dribble and create, DJ Augustine, not bad. I didn't even think about it. is he is he a free agent? I didn't even think about him. Not that I actually would want to really bring him back, but it was like if you're looking at like the veteran, they're like they're, we you talk about like D'Angelo Russell, no, Brogdon's probably a no, like Terry Rozier's a restricted free agent, he sucks. But like there there are those like group of, the group of like veteran free agents. Like, are you on team no Derrick Rose? Or would you bring... Yeah, I think that's a bad idea. Okay, yeah. So then, like, if you're looking at, like, Patrick Beverly, Chicago dude, uh, like, Ricky Rubio, Darren Collison, like, I guess, is DJ Augustine's a free agent, like... DJ is not not going to get... I had to look that one up. He is... Is he or no? He is under contract next year. Okay, he is. All right. So then, not him. But I guess, similar point, if they're not going to get, like, a big guy in free agency, uh, but if they need want to get a veteran one of those veteran free agents like who who's your ideal there yeah i mean you're describing like the stopgap plan which is yeah right exactly and uh but that's like what this whole rebuild is just like a stopgap rebuild i don't think patrick beverly is leaving the clippers i think that team was just awesome and i think they want to stick together uh but he would be fantastic i, I guess mean, the only way would be if they 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 want to sign two superstars i don't I'm not sure if they'll be able to keep his Cap hold on the books. I'm I'm not totally sure how that would work. They might try to work something out with him anyways and just bring him back for cheap. I'm not sure. I know that I'm for sure. I'm sure they would love to have him back. He was like the heart and soul of their team. Like I feel like it's gonna be hard to get him away from there, no matter what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think like it's fun to fantasize about like the idea of homecoming, like being the thing that brings these guys back. But like, I just yeah, I think that's unlikely. I think Darren Collison had like some really good moments over the past couple of years. He's a, an incredible three point shooter. He can run a little offense, um, and I think like for that reason, he fits decently well next to Zach. He can play off ball and catch and shoot, uh, but he can also kind of get into the passing lanes and do a little pick and roll. He could be an option. Um, not sure what the like cap situation in. Uh, Indiana is. I also like Thomas Sadoransky. He is oh, yeah. a big point guard. I think he's like six seven or something. Uh, nice spot up shooter. Can also run a little pick and roll, but not a guy that you want like running most of your offense. But again, like I think in most of these scenarios, it ends up being Zach Levine is the primary ball handler. Right. For yeah. better or worse, like that's just kind of what's going to happen. Can they get Tyus Jones in any way from Minnesota? I know the Wolves just hired a assistant GM from the Rockets. Uh, I feel like that's the type of player they really need to take a chance on. Someone who might have some physical shortcomings, but can create off the dribble, can shoot off the dribble, uh, and can also be like a high IQ passer. That's the type of player they really need to roll the dice on. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great target. Uh, I don't know, like I think it'll depend on like what this new uh, president of basketball operations, Gerson Rosas, who by the way the Bulls should have like, I mean obviously they weren't looking, but like he would have been a great target. <laughs> um, I don't know what his plan is going to be or like how he's going to try to reshape his team, but I have a feeling that Andrew Wiggins is going to be dealt 
Um, but I, yeah, I mean, he'd be great. They have Teague for one more year, I think. And Derek Rose is off the books this year. If Rose comes back and it sounds like he won't, they'll have two point guards. And so maybe Tyus will be gettable. God, the Wolves hiring smart people and the Bulls just sitting on their hands. Yeah, I mean, it's like every... Letting Gary Ryan's pop another bottle of champagne in honor of Harold Baines making the Hall of Fame. It's just so shameful. <laughs> the group of teams at the bottom of, like, the just outdated, like, what are you doing? This is the crummiest front office in the league is dwindling year after year. Like, the Kings are now out of that group. Uh, the Magic are now out of that oh, group. I don't know about that, man. Well, maybe not, but they at least played well this year. <laughs> Yeah, and then they find their their coach who helped them play well. Just very busy. Vladdy, Mr. Power, power move guy over there. And then there was the whole Luke Walton thing. Yeah, maybe that was... Yeah, I guess not great. Maybe we can put them back in. They looked like they might get out of that group. Maybe they're back into that group. But uh, right now it's like what, like the Bulls, the uh, the Suns. I mean, maybe the Lakers. You could count the Lakers in there now, too. If they're going to... They're keep like, I don't know if Jeannie knows what she's doing. And Rob Polinka sounds like everybody hates him, but they're keeping him for whatever reason. I, I don't know. But and then the Knicks are in there as well. The Knicks are just going to, it's really annoying that the Knicks are probably going to stumble their bet, stumble ass backwards into like a superstar laden team. I, Cause I'm assuming Katie, I don't know what you hear out there and uh, out there with the Warriors, but I mean, it seems like everyone thinks Katie's going, to the Knicks, and then if Kyrie goes with them, or if they get Zion too, like it's just gonna be so annoying. The Knicks don't deserve that shit. Yeah, my question is like, when when does Chicago's market start to be start to pull free agents that way? Like, why? If I guess obviously New York is much bigger, but like, yeah. come on, come on, Chicago, scoot, <laughs> <laughs> give it to us. Like, it almost got LeBron and Wade. There was another thing out there today. Wade was talking about how like the Bulls were like towards the top of their list, which I think is something we already knew, but. He brought it up again, which is like another just dagger to the heart. It's like, thanks for reminding me. But it almost it almost worked for that time. But besides that, I wonder got like, like what they would have needed to do in order to get space for Bosch. Because they, I mean, the the money that was holding the back was Luol and Joaquin. Because Derek was I thought they rookie, talked. Right? About, I thought they talked about how they had a trade in place with Dang that would have made yeah. Bosch possible. I thought I thought that was the thing, but then but then they ended up deciding on Miami. Like it's. Because I remember the rep- they're being reporting. I feel like at the time, like I can't remember if it was Broussard or if it was Woj, or if it was both that like that the Bulls. I feel like were in the lead at one point. As much as you can say that through like whatever reporting, but I, they were definitely right there for, based on that reporting. And it was like, and I was like, I was ready for it to happen. Like I thought it was going to happen, and then boom, went to Miami instead. Bunch of what ifs. I know. Sad. Very sad. Um, I guess my last. I was. We'll try to wrap up here pretty soon. Uh, we talk about again, like stopgap options and like and trying to uh, uh, do this timeline, like speed it up. Which I feel like we've kind of talked about. That's what they we think they're going to do. Like we've talked about this a few times on past podcasts. Like, do you think that they would try to make a big trade for like Drew Holiday or Mike Conley this off season? Yeah, I mean, I think those two guys are like potentially really good fits with the current group. I don't know like where you'd be left after trading for one of those guys in terms of like what pieces would remain. Yeah, I was I was trying to think about that. Like I, I feel the those Pelicans are really good have, players. Those are going to cost a lot. Right. Yeah. He's I mean, like Drew is still like what twenty seven, twenty eight. He played both both guard positions. He, I feel like he'd be like an ideal fit. He's obviously a great defensive player. Uh, he's still got I think two years left plus like a player option, which is like oh, like twenty seven, twenty eight million. So like, and the Pelicans have said that they don't want to trade him, even if they trade Davis. They're going to trade Davis. Like they've said that. 
I don't know if that's true, but like, because I feel like if they're going to trade Drew, like they're going to want a shitload. I'm not really sure what they would want. Like, they would obviously want like probably probably this year's pick. I would guess. Uh, I don't know if they'd want like Zach back as well. Like, I'm I, I'm not totally sure like what his value on the trade market is at this point. So it would be kind of weird to make that make a trade like that happen. I don't know what you guys think about what it would need what it would require. Here's the thing: the Bulls have an asset poor rebuild like yeah they have salary cap flexibility they have a couple you know good young pieces in the front court in carter and markinen uh but outside of that it's like they're not going to trade levine for mike Conley. that wouldn't get him anywhere and they just have nothing else to deal i mean really they would need like sort of a breakout campaign or breakout stretch at least from hutchison <laughs> uh, to give them maybe some yeah. flexibility in the trade market. But as of right now, man, the Bulls, they just have nothing to offer when you talk about constructing a deal for Holiday or for Conley. Yeah, even Otto Porter, I think, is like a neutral, if not negative asset, just because of how much money he's making. Like you have to get, you have to like, the Bulls had to attach picks to get him from from the Wizards. Um, I, I I think that's a really good point about just the general way that they've gone about this rebuild and and it speaks to the like the way that they tried to jumpstart it the way that they tried to take shortcuts there I think it's just it's really hard to do that it's just really hard to succeed when you're trying to constantly push it beyond where it should be yeah it's like they had like some sort of self honor to not fully commit to the tank but as soon as they traded Jimmy Butler, they were tanking. Like they yes. were very transparent in their strategy being to maximize the value of their own draft pick. And then when push came to shove, they got too scared to fully commit to it. And that's how, you know, you find yourself with the seventh pick two years in a row when you're angling for a top three pick. That's why right now, you know, they miss out in being in the you know highest percentage chance of the lottery, there's three teams of 14%. The Bulls are right outside that at 12.5%. Uh, to me, I just don't have a ton of faith in the rebuild right now unless Mark and Inner Carter really come through and make significant leaps. I do think uh, you know the most promising way this could work out is if Carter and Markkinen kind of can have careers that are like similarly good to like Noah and Deng. And like then maybe they don't have the superstar like Rose that would push them over the top in this analogy. But if you just keep hitting doubles every time you're in the draft, eventually you're going to build a pretty good team. Uh, you know, even if they get the fifth or sixth pick this year or whatever it is, as long as they draft another player who can be, you know, a positive starter and a, a good contributor, value someone who adds value to the team. Uh, I do think they can slowly but surely work their way up. But man just trying to nail every draft pick the best you can when you're picking, you know, outside of the top three, outside of the top five, that is really tough. And I'm sure that Garpax would tell you that, you know, their strategy in the draft works and that they would take credit for marketing and Carter, uh, you know, initially looking so promising, but man, that's, there's just not a lot of margin for error when you're, when you're trying to build outside of top five picks. Yeah. I mean, I think that's how the Nets got back to where they are they just kept on hitting singles or doubles and they got a coach that could max out the talent and they got a GM that had a good vision and could like fill out the roster around those guys. And I think it's basically going to take Wendell and Lowry. And like, I, I would actually like to get into those guys a little bit because I think like they are really interesting 
prospects just from like a basketball philosophy standpoint, like how do you want to play? I think like if you look at the skill set that Wendell has in particular, I mean, I was really impressed with the way that he moves. I think that if you're going to be a center in today's NBA, you have to be able to move. Um, otherwise, you're just you're toast. You're not playing in important minutes. It's just not happening. Um, obviously, like the the jump shot, I think we'll get there. It was really bad this year. Um, but I think he like I think most of that was just like him not feeling comfortable with shooting. And I think as he grows and as he like just matures as a basketball player, he'll pull the trigger more. Um, but I mean, incredible passer, incredible instincts, awesome help defender. Um, so I think you're talking about like a really well-rounded, very like defensive plus player. Obviously it's not going to happen tomorrow, but like over the next couple of years, Lowry is more than just a jump shooter. Obviously we, we know this, like he's not just a guy that you sit at the wing and shoot threes. And so if like, if those guys can like turn into some postmodern big where it's like the skill is there, but the size is also there where they can combat all the small ball three point stuff by having both the ability to take guys off the dribble. If you throw a big guy at them or, uh, you know, go big against small guys and like post them up or whatever, um, that, that could work. And if that happens, like, I do think there's potential. You have to have the right players around them. You have to have, I think it's still really important that you get this like playmaker, but like, I think that that core can go somewhere if it's like molded correctly. Um, that's obviously the question, but uh, that's kind of how you get to like that middle area. And then from that middle area, maybe you're, maybe you max out as like that 60 win Hawks team that just like really figured each other out. Like didn't have any superstars, but had like four all-stars or whatever it was, or maybe you are like really impressive as a group, like the Clippers were, and they can land a free agent that way. I think that's like they have to get to that middle space and getting up from where they are is going to be really tough. But at least getting that middle space, maybe they can get a playoff appearance or two and then go from there. So I guess on that note, then I guess as we wrap up here, uh, looking to next season, obviously there's still to figure out what happens in the draft and in free agency and all that stuff. Just if they just have like a normal, I guess if they, I guess we could do it with Zion and with somebody else. Like, where do you like? And Kevin last week basically said, like, if anyone wants to bet him 100 bucks, Bulls are not making the playoffs. Where, where do you think is a realistic where, where they end up next season? Like, say with Zion and then if they don't get Zion, yeah, and just mean, have like a normal free agency. Normally, yeah, it just depends on the situation, right? Like, if they change their philosophy altogether and start running like the Kings did, like. The East is not good. The bottom of the East isn't good. The top of the East is very good. The bottom of the East, you could probably like squeeze your way in. I think it's pretty unlikely um, just given the way that they play. And this talent is not like up to snuff yet. Like they do need to get better. And like that needs to happen fast. Like if you look at some of these other young teams, like the Nuggets, for example, like Jokic is what, 22, 23? That entire core is like 24. Those guys are already all-star level players. Uh, like the bulls have young guys with potential, but they're not already there and they need to like all have that jump at the same time. If that happens, yeah, I think make the playoffs, but is that likely? Probably not. Um, maybe you get Zion and he like already knows how to be the primary facilitator, which I don't think is like quite true. I think he's going to need some time to figure that out. Um, but if he just like knows what to do and that like totally brings everybody together, I think it's possible. But again, like that seems pretty unlikely. I don't think they'll make the playoffs next year. 
Um, I don't know about a win total right now, but like, I just, I think it's pretty unlikely. It just, a lot would have to go right. Like pretty much everything. Yeah. I mean, it's, right. a, it's a huge jump. Like you probably have to jump whatever, 18, 19, 20 wins to get there. Like, and that's just like not I'm real like, realistic. Like it could happen, but like, it's not realistic to say it's definitely going to happen. And they lost five more games this year than they did the year before. That. Yeah, so like, great. Like not- last year when they were t- trying to lose a bunch of games, they ended up winning twenty-seven. It's like Nico went crazy. For well, us. you know, if they lose five more next year, maybe we're looking at the first pick, and that could change. <laughs> yeah, the there you go. So, what's yeah. the what's the way too early, uh, like mock draft for? Top top of the twenty what is it twenty twenty draft twenty twenty of another uh, draft. Well, I, I could talk about this all day, man. I've got a twenty twenty mock ready like, in my head. Give me a Cliff Nuts version. Okay, so I would say that in general, I considered this class, the incoming freshman class, to be the worst class I had scouted. <laughs> oh God! Uh, but I say that because the guys at the top of the rankings seemed more like they were built for college ball than for pro ball. Like the number one recruit in rivals rankings is this big man named Vernon Carey Jr., son of former Miami Dolphins left tackle Vernon Carey. Uh, He's about 6'10", 260 or 70 pounds. Uh, Actually has pretty soft touch and is really skilled, but the dude just isn't going to be able to guard uh, in a switch-heavy NBA defense. There's no way. Then you have the other top-rated prospect in that class being James Wiseman, uh, he is a, another center who's like seven one, really long arms, good run and jump athlete, a little less polished in terms of his offensive skill set. He might fit the mold of someone more like Capella, but, uh, you know, having a few of those top centers is another guy named Isaiah Stewart, who's another uh, like, you know, big, strong, stocky interior score, good rebounder. I don't know how great of a pro prospect he is, though. Uh, that's why I thought that this class was going to be pretty weak in terms of its, you know, eventual NBA production. But lately there's been a few ads to the class via reclassification, a couple guards, first Anthony Edwards, who I wrote a big profile of, he's like a six, four strong scoring combo guard who could potentially have, you know, a really high upside, uh, if he turns into one of these guys that can splash threes off the dribble also, you know create his own offense from a standstill, be able to elevate and dunk on guys. So he's really intriguing. He's going to play for Tom Crean at Georgia. And then you also have RJ Hampton, who I wrote about today at SB Nation. He was a top five recruit uh, in the junior class. He jumps up a year, so he's going to expedite his college career, be in college next year, also expedite his pro career. He's likely going to Kansas. He's a 6'5 point guard. Uh, who's pretty intriguing in terms of his ability to create offense off the dribble. He's mostly a driver and a finisher instead of a shooter. Those are two names to keep an eye on. And then I'll hit you with two more real quick, two point guards. Cole Anthony, the son of Greg Anthony, just committed to North Carolina a week ago. Uh, He's like a more athletic Jalen Brunson to me, which, you know, what what does that even mean? Because the reason Jalen Brunson (laughs) is sort of limited was because of his athleticism, but Cole Anthony's a killer. He's really aggressive scorer. Uh, he can you know, shoot off the dribble with range. Pretty good out of the pick and roll. Definitely more of a scorer than a facilitator out of the point guard spot. But you know his pie-in-the-sky NBA potential might be someone like Damian Lillard. I mean, he's like a 6'3 gunner, basically, but he's really, really good. He's strong. He's athletic. He can shoot with range. Last guy I'll mention, Nico Mannon. If you're looking for someone who could be like the Trey Young of the 2020 draft, that's Nico Mannon to me. He's a point guard who is headed to Arizona. We'll see if he stays committed. 
since Sean Miller may get fired there for his improprieties during uh, the FBI investigation. But Nico Mannon, terrific creator, high-level passer, high-level shooter, really creative, not an elite athlete, not someone who projects as a plus defender, but he can be a magician with the ball. So uh, next year, very point guard heavy class. Kentucky will have a kid named Tyus or uh, Tyrese Maxey too. Now I'm just getting ahead of myself, but a lot of good guards in 2020. <laughs> looking at 2020 already. All right. We're already looking at the 2020 draft when if the Bulls are terrible again yeah, next season. All right. <laughs> I got one more point guard related draft question. Darius Garland. I obviously have not seen much of him because he didn't play much, but did you do any high school scouting of him? What do you think? Like a lot of people are comparing him to Dame now because he can shoot off the dribble, I guess. Like, do you think that's an option if they get the fourth pick or would you rather trade down or would you want to stay away because of the just uncertainty about him? Did see him at the high school level, saw him uh, on the EYBL. He immediately caught my eye. I think he played for each one teach one, which is a Florida based team. He's from Nashville though. Uh, Obviously decides to play for Vanderbilt. Uh, plays like five games, tears his meniscus, decides to sit out the season. I think that was a smart move for his draft stock because so many of these other top guys just ended up getting exposed playing in college this year. Now Garland enters the draft as kind of a mystery man. The one thing everyone knows about him is that he can shoot off the dribble. Obviously, that's a really valuable skill, especially when you can do it with the range Darius Garland can. But I think he's got some big... Uh, you know, knocks against him too. Mostly, I think he had a negative assist to turnover ratio. He's just small. He's like 6'1 or 6'2. When I was watching him at the high school level, even though I thought he was awesome, I thought he was the best point guard in that class ahead of Trey Jones, ahead of Devin Dotson, a few more guys in that high school class, Ashton Hagens, Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, I thought he was the best out of all those guys. But the thing is that I never really saw him as an NBA player because he isn't big. He isn't very explosive athletically. At best, he's going to be a one-position defender. I don't know if he's going to be able to defend adequately. Uh, Really, the swing card for him is going to be his facilitating ability. If he can be a special facilitator, then I think that he might be worth a top-five pick because we know he's going to be able to shoot with range off the dribble. But uh, if not, I could sort of see him having a career like DJ Augustine, who I think was also a top-ten pick. He was either taking 10 or 11 or 12 or 9, somewhere in that range back when he entered the league in, I believe, 2007. Augustine's obviously had a good career, but it's like if you took DJ Augustine with, you know, the fourth pick in this draft, I don't think he'd really be satisfied with it. Not saying that Garland is like locked into that. He definitely has the potential, uh, you know, to go on to have a really good career. But I think that there's just not a lot of information on him uh, because his college career was so limited. I think that his facilitating ability and his playmaking ability is definitely the elephant in the room. He's not going to get any bigger. He's not going to start throwing down windmill dunks, but what he could start doing is becoming a really elite facilitator in addition to being an elite off-the-dribble shooter. It's a risk to me. Uh, you know, it, it could work out, but to me, there's there's too many avenues for him to just be like an average player more so than, uh, you know, a truly elite player. He just doesn't have a ton of margin for error to be an elite player, but I mean, how many guys do like, if you're going to hit that, you know, 2% chance at NBA superstardom, uh, the way someone like, I don't know, Damian Lillard has, uh, you know, you, you really need the best case scenario in terms of both your own skill set and fit and development and all that. So I like Garland. I don't love him. Uh, there's some people who would want the bulls to take him at four. I, I probably wouldn't, but 
uh, again, you know, if they took him and he ended up being really good, I wouldn't be too shocked by it. Yeah, I feel like that's a situation where, like, if you could somehow trade down a little bit and, like, get another asset, then it's maybe worth it. Just because of the limited information, I think that's, like, a pretty big red flag for me. Yeah, that seems right. I, I honestly know nothing about him. So I, I, I depend on Ricky for that. Uh, was that. Yeah, like him, Kobe White, whatever. It seems like trade down guys for some I mean, Kobe stretch. White, maybe uh, just take Kobe White at four. Guys, I, I have the hot take okay. in me that I'm not <laughs> right. debuting it yet. Give me like a couple more weeks to think about it. But if Marinate, let it marinate. I, I'm teasing, I'm teasing a future hot take. It might just be take Kobe White at four. Wow! Look, I wow. get I get all my draft takes from Ricky. So yeah, whatever you say, man. <laughs> hey, I did call Marco uh, the best point guard prospect. Whoops! Well, I think everyone basically everybody got that one wrong. So, <laughs> oh well, <laughs> sad. Uh, I think we should probably wrap up here. Will, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us where everybody can find you on Twitter, where they can find your work. Yeah, it was awesome to talk to you guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at won't gottlieb. And uh, I write for Bleacher Report, and that is all for now. Nice. Well, yeah. Thank you for for joining us. Uh, it's been awesome. Will is an essential in the Bulls community. Uh, one of the smartest guys who talks about the Bulls on the internet. Read everything Will writes. Follow him on Twitter. Do all that because uh, Bulls fans are lucky to have someone like Will who can really bring deep and analytical thought to the conversation surrounding the Bulls. Because, goddamn, we know the front office doesn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. And if you want to... I appreciate it. If you want your Warriors covered as well and all the NBA playoff stuff, if you're you're into that sort of thing, also follow them for that that good stuff. There there is good basketball happening right now. There absolutely is. So, uh, yeah, definitely definitely follow Will and follow his work. Will, once again, thank you for coming on. Uh, Ricky, I think we're good here. Let's let's wrap this up. Before we get out of here, I want to always... Give our end of show shout outs to the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can follow us at Blue Wire Pods. Uh, with the playoffs going on, we have some good team specific pods. The Light Years Pod, Sam and Andy, a bunch, bunch of go- couple goofballs talking Warriors basketball. Um, <laughs> we also have another Bulls pod. Uh, the Mar- obviously not playoffs, but uh, Mark Mark Karantzoulis with Bulls HQ had joined us, and then there's our. Blue Wire Buckets playoff pod. A bunch of Hardwood Knox is another NBA pod we got. So we got a bunch of good basketball pods. Oh, and Eurostep. Shout out to the the Greeks out there that is the Milwaukee Bucks pod. So follow them as well. So a ton of good NBA stuff all across the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh, And for so we'll wrap it up now. So for Jason, Ricky, and Will, thanks again for joining us. Have a good one, guys. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.